Well, our names are Teresa and Gumby. Welcome to Escaping Society. We wrote our own song so we wouldn't have to pay for anyone else's copyright infringement. And we live in a van and we eat from the trash. Making this podcast open for cash. You better listen up because we probably won't last. Because we can't compete with nonsense. Hypnotizing nonsense. This is Mile Marker 111. I'm Teresa. I'm Gumby. And this is also Escaping Society. And it's the night before Christmas. And we are sitting inside some lady's house that is paying me to watch her critters. Mm-hmm. And we got a nice Christmas tree in the corner already decorated for us and everything. Mm-hmm. And this is the same house that we were in when we recorded Quinn's Boiling Frog. I had to be careful not to say flog. Mm-hmm. And um, We don't have the Irish whiskey this time. No. I do. I may have fermented eggnog sitting next to me. I'm not sure if it's mm. supposed to be fermented, but, I mean, whatever, mm. at this point. And uh, this was also the house. I don't remember if it was Quinn's Boiling Frog, but right when the pandemic started... We were in this house because... What, the episode we recorded? Yes. Yeah, that was Quinn's Boiling Frog. Okay, so we were here at this house like March 12th or something, around there, two years ago. 2020, or 2019, or something like that. One year ago. One year ago. That's what that's what I meant. Yeah, so it's kind of, I don't know, it's good to have a, a repeat pet-sitting customer, for one. And, uh, yeah, it's just kind of crazy to to realize all the time that's passed, all the things that have happened. And uh, Gumby, you just asked me a question earlier. How many days do you think we've been living in that van? And I looked it up. <laughs> this is day 998 on Alone with, with Teresa. With Teresa. <laughs> oh my God. I don't think anyone's ever made it that that long. Oh, my God. I don't think they've <laughs> even wanted to sign up for that show. <laughs> so, yeah, we've been uh, we've been treating ourselves every night to watching an episode of Alone, which is, I don't know, years and years old, but we're just seeing it for the first time. Yeah, we're on, what, season four with the partnership? Seven, like, bring a member of your family. So, like, four of the teams are brothers, two of the teams are father and son, and one team is a couple. Husband and wife. Yeah. Yeah, so um, we haven't really gotten into this season that much, but boy, how inspiring and how um, instructive, not just with the bushcraft skills, but also with like attitude and and just seeing like the people that win, the people that can stick it out the longest, like what they do. Yeah, I learned so much. Like typically in the evening, we crawl into the van, like we stick around the fire until about 7 and we go in the van, we crank up the van, heat it up, listen to some music. And after it gets really warm in there, we shut off the van. And, and it's uh, card time. Then we play cards. <laughs> we play Crazy Eights. And we always play, like, best two out of three. And if it's a tie, then uh, all or nothing, which I all, almost always win. <laughs> and 
Then we watched something. And I got to say, of all the things to watch, living in a van and trying to push yourself into, like, primitive skills and stuff alone is pretty awesome. Yeah. I learned, like, physical skills, like how people make chairs, a lot of shelter ideas, and uh, kind of more general skills, like... For instance, we've been talking a lot about how food, you know, is so important. Like, they make awesome shelters. Everything's going good. But food is that critical thing that over and over we keep seeing, like, sends people home. And that's really instructive. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, there's the social aspect of it. Like, the kinds of people that make it, what they get out of it, what they, uh, what breaks them. That's really interesting because I see so many people, like, uh, go home and they'll say, it's because I need to be with my family. I just need to be with my family. I understand that now. I came out here, and that's where my journey led. It's told, that it told me I need to be with my family. <laughs> and I'm like, that motherfucker was just out there for a month. Like, people have regularly left their family for two or three months, at least, to make a lot less money than $500,000. <laughs> I mean... I'm not, like, hating on them because they break. I've broke plenty of times, like, had plans to go out in the woods and then came, like, with my tail tucked between my legs, came crawling back. On the first night, just like uh, Desmond, season two. Yeah. Oh, man, it was unfortunate. First black guy on a loan, and he doesn't make it to, to the night, not only through the night. So that was pretty, like, <laughs> I can see them, like, trying to navigate the uh, politics of that. And, yeah, and then the women really represented... And that guy on season three, you know, like there's been two black guys on there. Season uh-huh. three, what was his name? Britt. Britt did pretty good. Mm-hmm. He was the third one out, but he stuck it out pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. And he had a lot of, um, well, anyway, I mean, you can watch the shows. I, I recommend them. And sometimes you can get like a free subscription to Hulu for 30 days and just like. Oh, yeah, I guess that's probably knock not those too interesting out. if you don't watch alone. Yeah. But, uh <laughs> Well, I guess I was just kind of thinking, like, is there any things that you've learned? Like, I talked a lot about, like, what I get from watching Alone, and I know, like, it may seem like, what the hell are they talking about Alone for? Well, it happens to be something we talk quite a bit about. Yeah. We watch it every evening, and then we, like, kind of digest it. Yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, I would just, again, I recognize that what Gumby said, this isn't probably that interesting unless you've watched it. Well, the survival's interesting. Don't get caught up in the characters. Yeah. But... Um, I would just say it's inspiring me and it's, I don't know, it's just really something that I can reflect on throughout the day and, and just really, like Gumby said, digest it. Mm-hmm. So. Well, what do you digest? <laughs> That's what I was asking. Do you have any kind of thoughts or anything about it? Well, if I talk about it, then it's going to be kind of boring because it's just rehashing some of the things that happened in the show. I don't really feel like doing that. Well, let's talk about what you want to talk about then, (laughs) Teresa. (laughs) Well, I had um, high aspirations for this mile marker being something like, wow, something happened and it was amazing. No, nothing ever happens. No, not on the, yeah, not on the week I choose a mile marker. We're going to talk about you taking a shit again. No, I picked my teeth the other day with like a... All right, that's a little more interesting than taking a shit. Not just a wooden toothpick, but uh, a a teeth cleaning kit from Walgreens that I had bought a while ago and I've tried it before and I've never watched a video of how to do it on YouTube or anything. My brother has. Um, and he said it seemed pretty doable and I was like, yeah, it's doable. I already did it. Granted it was on my front teeth with several mirrors to help me see. But, uh, if you don't have 
dental insurance and you're like, how the hell am I supposed to keep my teeth clean? Well, one, don't eat as much sugar as I do. And two, or carbohydrates, get yourself, it's like a seven or eight dollar teeth cleaning kit from Walgreens. At least that's where I got mine at. And it has like the two types of hooks to scrape your teeth and in between your teeth. It has a tongue cleaner scraper and a mirror that you can look at the back of your teeth to see what plaque is there. Teresa's almost got me talked into this thing because uh, I thought it, I, I thought it was kind of silly. It's not something that I would buy. But then when Teresa, like, I mean, you should have seen her teeth before this thing. <laughs> they were brown. No, they weren't. They look like. That's they not look true. Like, <laughs> they look like she'd been drinking chocolate milk all her no, life. No, that's not true. No, it's not true. I'm just fucking. But. But they, uh, you, I mean, I haven't really seen like the difference, but you were talking about plucking that plaque off. Yeah. And that's pretty cool if it does that. Yeah. And like I said, it's like $8. You couple that with a relatively expensive toothpaste, but it's worth it. Like Peridontax toothpaste. And it says it like loosens the plaque and damned if it hasn't helped. So I'm just saying, for like 14 or 15 bucks, you can clean your teeth. And just Gumby, Shazam! Oh, I thought you said Shazam. <laughs> um, when I was, when I was probably about mm, about eight, eight to ten years old, my brother would have been two to four years old. And I remember at the first house we lived in in North Carolina, there was this bathroom, like the hall bathroom, and I would get some blankets and pillows, and I'd put the toilet seat and lid down, and I'd have my brother sit on the toilet and lean his head back, and I would, like, pretend to be the dentist and clean his teeth for him. And I never felt like that was a path I wanted to take as an adult, but for some reason it was just really satisfying to clean his teeth. (laughs) Wait a minute. You're talking about cleaning your brother's teeth? Not with a toothpicker thing, but like with a toothbrush and just pretending to be a dentist. I wanted to be a dentist. (laughs) Is that 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 elf from Rudolph? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Maybe you should have been a dentist. Maybe. You want to fuck with my teeth? I was thinking I was going to offer. Because my teeth need some fucking... I was going to offer. So, yeah, get yourself a Walgreens toothpicking kit. Anything that's going to fix these teeth is going to hurt. No, I don't know. But anyway, other than that... um... Yeah, Teresa, what do you want to talk about? (laughs) This is your episode. What do we want to talk about? Well, you know, we we got away from the um, subject of alone, the survival... Which is what I wanted to talk about. The survival podcast or show, but um, I'm looking forward to my next night out in the woods, and I'm thinking it's going to be Tuesday because it's like kind of nice weather in December, and I'm going to try to like break down our hobo wigwam and start hanging up tarps and kind of getting the area ready for our new shelter build. Yeah, I'm excited about that too because... I've got, like, my little list I'm going down of skills I'm working on, so I'm going to get around the shelter in March, and so anything Teresa, like, decides to work on until <laughs> March is going to be, like, a huge uh, labor-saver shortcut. Indeed. So I can, like, you know, whatever you got built, I can add to it, hopefully. What skills are you working on now, by the way? Well, it's the end of December, so I think I might be on the spectrum. I'm kind of like very, 
I don't know. I don't know what it is. I got to organize things in a certain way, and they don't always serve me. They often don't. But I get so caught up in like my little lists and ways of doing things. Maybe I'm OCD or something. But anyway, since for the rest of December, what I'm working on is flint napping, which uh, and wooden tools. Um, I've been like working on my chairs and stuff and getting them better and like making a backrest, which makes a huge difference. Tried not having a backrest. Um, added some new shelves to my cabinets. My uh, hell, I don't even know what to call them. Your table, table shelves. Table shelf, yeah. <laughs> and flint napping. I've been working with John Stone, which is the pretty way of saying toilet porcelain. Um, <laughs> but it's it's hard to work with. Glass is like kind of does more what you predict it to do when you start learning about like platforms and conchoidal this and Hertzian cones and shit. That sounds very sexual. Hmm. Conchoidal. (laughs) 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 Anyway. um, Damn it. (laughs) You were working with John Stone. It's unpredictable. All right, yes, toilet porcelain, and it's really hard to work with. It's brittle. Mm -hmm. But what did you make just the other day? I didn't make anything. You you flaked something off, and it was, like, really good at cutting stuff. Oh, but... this morning, that conchoidal disc. Ooh. So it's kind of cool when you, like, uh, percussion flake, which is, like, you can hit a rock or something in a very predictable way and just knock off a chunk that is immediately useful. Hmm. So that's kind of a cool... Uh, I don't know. That's been interesting in flint napping is to look at something and, like, just figure out where to hit it and have the simplest tool, like, that's a cutting edge. Oh, what cool. do I need to do to make that an effective cutting edge? And done. You know, so it's kind of cool to learn how to, like, do the details, make the arrowhead that's like, wow, how did somebody do that? But it's also cool to be able to hit a rock one time and, like, bam, there's a cutting <laughs> cutting edge. I can hack down a tree with that. And where, pray tell, did you find this toilet that you broke apart? Pray tell, I found it in a uh, abandoned house, and there's another toilet waiting for me when I get around to it. <laughs> and that's just a uh, short, medium walk from our uh, place out in the country. Yeah, I guess I'd call that a medium walk. That and, has uh, shelves decorating the, the field. And I've been trying to learn about drop spindle, which was the first kind of spinning before any kind of machine was used. So it's just a way of using a centrifugal force and gravity with like a really simple thing that you spin and you can turn like loose fabric like wool or cotton into yarn that can then be woven knitted crocheted and uh yeah teresa had the brilliant idea i'm like i think i'm gonna have to buy some shit and i hate buying stuff always trying to try to find a way to work on a skill that i don't have to buy stuff and um so now he is actually going to collect his belly button lint in a little jar damn it spoiler (laughs) And I'm going to move on to anus hair after that. Oh so God. if I offer you a hat, be <laughs> critical. <laughs> can you can you use those cards for wool? Can you, like, card out dingleberries? I don't know. Huh. What's a dingleberry, Teresa? Oh, it's like when toilet paper gets kind of stuck in your nethers. Okay, TMI, Teresa. <laughs> Thank you for that. I mean, a, a friend told me. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it. Oh, but yeah, yeah, I haven't been... Teresa had the bright idea of, like, taking the stuffing out of furniture because we're around always, like, discarded furniture and cushions that go on it and taking that stuffing and, like, working on spinning that, so... 
I've been working on that. And, and I haven't gotten very far yet. But. Yeah, but what you showed me was amazing. Yeah, it was like a little thin thread of it when you uh, tease it out. Like, I mean, you could break it easy. It's just barely stuck together. And then you spin it, and you can really pull hard on that yeah. stuff, and it's tough. Yeah, it's inspiring because, well... I can see all the possibilities of dyeing this with natural dyes and like making a, like a very simple loom and a shuttle and like making blankets and all sorts of other accoutrements. Yeah. And I'm not even thinking about like the, the loom. I mean, but I might move on to that at some point. I'm, I'm still like thinking about the possibilities with knitting and crochet, just yeah, a couple that's, of needles. That's true too. Not that I want to wear a hat made out of like sofa stuffing, but... <laughs> I bet there's a use for it, you know? It's like all the stuff has its place. Well, the original idea came to me because of that uh, ridiculous dog that is living with your mom now. Rufus. Rufus. Boofus. Um, and he tears everything apart and they had given him all sorts of toys and stuffed animals cause there's nothing like promoting tearing things up as fun and then yelling at your dog when he in fact tears things up. And so I thought maybe there was a stuffed animal that, uh, you could have gotten the stuffing from, but yeah, good on you for finding the sofa too. Rufus keeps fucking up like he is and I'm going to be making a hat out of Rufus. <laughs> <laughs> oh, poor Boofoof. Um... What have you, because I, you know, I don't know what happens except I uh, question what I'm doing with my life, but, uh, <laughs> like, that's the whole day is just questioning life and then, <laughs> like, eating. What am I doing with my life? Yes. Uh, but what are you, uh, what have you been, what, <laughs> what if, <laughs> well, the other morning, I, it just doesn't feel like really like Christmas. I mean, there's this Christmas tree, but even this Christmas tree is kind of a little just depressing. Yeah, we've been celebrating, so I'm feeling like pretty uh, okay at the moment, but we were talking the other day, like this this Christmas season, it just feels uh, overall kind of, I described it as feeling more hollow. I mean, things feel more, it's been a hell of a fucking year. Yeah. I lost my dad, my grandpa. Just feels like my family is spread out across the United States, and I can't really just console people when I want to. Yeah, and in another way, I lost my mom. She's still drawing breath, but she's not the same person that I used to call my mom. Yeah. She had the stroke, and she's like, I used to talk to her about stuff, and she'd come out and visit us and sit around the fire, and um, she just doesn't leave the house anymore. Like She can't. Yeah, we used she to. She can't go to the bathroom. She can't walk to the bathroom anymore. Yeah, one of the last things we used to do is, uh, like, go to the movies. That was one of the things she liked to do. Mm. And she can't go to the movies anymore. And it's, um, yeah, we just kind of go in and visit her, like, a couple times during the day, and they're pretty short visits. I mean. Oh, in honor of your mom, I did I did successfully sneak into the Ghostbusters Afterlife movie um, two orders of chorizo nachos in my purse. <laughs> and popcorn. Yeah, my mom used to be really good at sneaking in like whole meals for multiple people in her pocketbook <laughs> into the movies. So, yeah. <laughs> Gumby got me this really expensive purse outside of a thrift store before it was actually taken in for donations. So it was just kind of like free. Mm -hmm. um, and it's so nice. And then he was like, I can't, I can't eat these chorizo nachos, which are our favorite thing from this taco truck. Um, 
I can't eat them before we go in the movie. So I said, they're not going to be good when you come out of the movie. <laughs> so I had to figure a way out to like wrap the, the... I remember I told you, you, Teresa Ferlotti, are no Nancy Montgomery. <laughs> oh, and, and the, uh, the way to do it, like, how am I going to get these nachos without messing them up? So I just kind of folded them into themselves with the tin foil and then put them in a Ziploc bag that was used for something else. I just took it out of there. And put it in my purse. And that is how you bring in food when the containers don't fit in your purse. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we had chorizo damn nachos to eat. Not that fucking overpriced, like, fake <laughs> cheese shit on stale chips <laughs> while we watched Ghostbusters. Yeah, that and that was a pretty good movie. I don't know when we watched that, but it wasn't in the, was it in the last week? I, it was about a week ago, I think, and it mm. was good. It was totally 80s. The only thing that wasn't 80s was them saying it was the year 2021. Like, I was talking to Teresa, and I was like, did you notice how nobody had a smartphone? In the movie. Nobody got online? Like, <laughs> that, I mean, what town is that that nobody in the in the span of this story being told in this movie do we see a smartphone being whipped out? So what they made is an 80s movie and just called it 2021. That is brilliant. And I don't know, that's kind of a sobering thought to me. Is like, is that the only way to make a good movie or tell a good story now? Is to pretend <laughs> like we're not now? <laughs> oh, that's, that is sad. There's just no way to tell the story of like the last few years without it sucking. That's because true. it sucks. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Um, but yeah, so this this Christmas Christmas um, Christmas this Christmas it just I don't know it just ain't quite the holiday that it's even been for the last couple years with this stupid pandemic thing. So um, yeah, so that kind of got me down and uh, oh, I don't know. There's just a bunch of things like um, my friend Dinesh in Nepal. He's kind of. Uh, recognizing that, you know, because I don't have the money to pay anymore for his medicines, like it, it's, it might be time for him to say goodbye um, because his medication helps him to not reject his kidney that was uh, given to him by his brother. So without the anti-rejection medication, theoretically, like the body will reject the kidney and like attack itself. But I don't know. Maybe, maybe he will tap into something that's uh, beyond what science can explain and uh, live a few more years. I just feel weird, like, you know, with my dad dying and, like, me being able to help to keep this particular person alive, um, he has kids. And I just feel like, man, don't. I mean, I can't tell a person, like, you should really reconsider living <laughs> or not living. <laughs> that's that's a very, that's, that is the only real personal decision and like I, told you, I'm I think not you even, can make. I, I don't know how much you're interpreting it. Like, you sound like somebody's just like, hey, I'm going to die. I mean, it might not be that kind of thing. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe. But uh, I just didn't say anything because, I mean, really, I don't know anything about <laughs> the situation. I had even offered to do like a fundraiser because that's how we got the money to get him the kidney transplant in the first place. Like somehow 
all these people came out of the woodwork that know him, that know me, that know neither of us, and they gave money, and we raised $10,000 um, for the kidney transplant surgery. So uh, I said, you know, we could do that again. And he's like, I don't know. I don't know if we should ask people for money because, um, oh, sorry, the dogs are hearing something. Uh, yeah, I don't know. So write in if you've ever had that similar situation where you're paying for someone to like stay alive and then you run out of money. And yeah. So Gumby, what have (laughs) you, what, what have you been reading? Actually, I was specifically wondering about that Noam Chomsky book that you got. What was it? Requiem for an American Dream? Yeah, Requiem for the American Dream. And something in there that you told me blew my mind about how... I hope you remember what it is, because I don't remember what it is. The ice caps melting. Like, let's throw out any of the terms like global warming, climate change, all that, and just recognize that the polar ice caps are retreating. And some folks are saying, according to this book that the ice caps melting will reveal even more land that has fossil fuels and that could further extend our civilization for another hundred years, couple hundred years until we get to that point where science has figured out how to replace everything that was fossil fuels. Yeah. (laughs) Wow. That was really deep. Um, and Alice Friedman was the first person that was um, that kind of blew my mind talking about fossil fuels and actually how fossil fuels are our civilization, whether it's gasoline in the cars or the making of concrete or steel. Like fossil fuels are required because you can't get the heat needed to melt down the metal to make steel or however you make steel or to... Um, produce the concrete that creates our civilization without fossil fuels. Why do you need fossil fuels for that? Uh, I think it's because the the other methods of creating, generating electricity, they are not, they do not produce enough heat, nor can heat be transferred. Heat has to be at the site where the heat is needed for like concrete or steel. It's my understanding. And then to hear this other little tidbit of information about fossil fuels like, oh, we've reached peak oil, but wait, because we've reached peak oil and we've pumped all this stuff into the atmosphere, if that's what's causing it, and or the polar ice caps are just retreating because that's what they do, guess what? It's going to expose more fossil fuels so we can keep doing the same shit. Yeah, that's a... That was something Noam Chomsky talked about that was kind of a a sobering, like, scary thought is what if by global warming happening, like this whole time, some people are thinking, wow, we're about to run out of oil. Um, You know, the powers that shouldn't be are are kind of chuckling to themselves because this is actually exposing more land for oil extraction. Um, Yeah. Wow. I was asking Teresa, you know, like, what if society did go on for another, like, several hundred years? Would you live any differently? Um, so you're saying, like, would I change 
my personal habits or yeah like the other morning you were questioning like sometimes i wonder if i'm nuts like i'm seeing everything different than the culture at large how do i know if i'm crazy like you Mm -hmm. know and we were exploring that a little bit and one of the things i was saying is like well let's assume that the people who think differently than you are right Let's assume that society is a lot more sustainable than you think. It's not on the verge of breaking down. Um, Would that change the way you live right now? No, I don't think so. Because um, I I do periodically, you know, question, do I want to go back to what I was doing before or, you know, even just slightly different than what I was doing before? And... By that, I mean like working for a company or even myself and having a a house or an apartment or something like that. I don't think I would do that. Um, I don't know. I just don't feel like I could. I might not actually physically be able to do that anymore because I have this problem with my hands going numb and stuff. But uh, I don't even think that would appeal to me unless the world got so freaking unlivable. Like it is so hot outside that like you can't be out there without your skin just blistering and being ruined and, or like you can't drink the water even from the water cycle, like rain is poison. I mean, at that point I might have to just go with whatever inside life is, but until that point, no. And it wouldn't be voluntary, obviously. It would just be like, I cannot exist outside. What about you? Hmm. No. I mean... Yeah, I... It's not worth the work that it takes. Like, there are very few things. There are some things that, like, feel good about, like... I don't know, participating in civilization, like uh, renting or owning land, having your own land, uh, being able to like have a heated space on a cold night, having a hot shower whenever you want it, (laughs) record player. Um, But I don't know. I just can't rearrange my thinking into feeling like it would be worth the effort it takes, the work I would have to do to make the money to pay the bills to have that. So, yeah. The only reason I hesitate, it's actually a lot easier for me to say no, you know, because I feel like the stuff I do makes sense to me and the struggles I I have that are hard, I kind of feel like a lot of them are going to be there any path I take. Mm -hmm. And the ones that aren't, I'm not like, I'm just trading trading them for other struggles. So... I'm trying to consider if there's anything that, like, all right, let's say society's not going to collapse. The prepper element's out. You're not getting ready for anything that's going to happen. Yeah, okay, that's something. Is the direction it's moving in. Mm-hmm. This whole metaverse, this whole, like, uh, saying up is down, black is white, everything's upside down, the whole propaganda, um, mandates, passports. Just the whole direction things are going, that's one uh, 
that's why I find that that thought so scary is like, what if they find more oil and society does go for another hundred years? <laughs> I find that scary and I would still be driven to try to minimize my participation in that. Yeah. And for me also, you know, aside from just saying, no, I will not do that. Um, <laughs> it just, I know that it wasn't making me happy before there was something missing. And while this particular, like what I'm doing right now in my life isn't where I want to be at. It gives me the freedom to, first of all, recognize that without just being all the time at work and having to do somebody else's stuff. What about this isn't where you want to be at? Well, I'm still working toward prioritizing what I want to learn and uh, just basically doing it. Like I, Here's another thing I got bummed out about. Um, I had collected and going to be helped um, a, a sizable portion of hickory nuts. Gumby said, you said the other day it wasn't that much, but it seemed like a lot because I had to crack those damn things open one by one. Yeah, it wasn't a get you through the winter kind of batch oh, of hickory no. nuts, but it was making like a one good batch of hickory milk. Yeah, and I had been cracking these hickory nuts for a while because I don't prioritize it. And I was worried that the um, the nut meat was going to kind of turn, like it gets a kind of um, rancid, fruity type taste to it when it uh, when the oils and the nuts starts to go bad. And uh, sucks getting old. Yeah, <laughs> old nuts. <laughs> and damn, I I put them out of the van, our our home. I put them into this gazebo that's like next to where Gumby's mom lives at. And, uh, we use the gazebo for our projects and just kind of overfill stuff that while we're there, why not take it out of the van and just like reconsider if we need it when we go to the mountains. So I put these nuts uncovered in the gazebo and a fucking mouse got to them. Cause I didn't do what I was supposed to do with them in the time that I was supposed to do it. I could have done it in one day and instead I just drew it out. I just dragged it on. And pretty soon, the mouse was like, I mean, hey, somebody left this, like, entire, like, huge stash of hickory nuts that are already opened. Why not? So good on that mouse, but damn me. So that's what I mean, like, I'm not quite where I want to be at. Because, man, if you were counting on me to feed you through the winter, you y'all would die. I suck at this. <laughs> Well, do you remember what I told you? Mm, don't make the same mistake twice. Learn from it. Yeah. So if you got that kind of lesson, I mean, I think attitude, you know, going back to what I wanted to talk about at the beginning alone. Oh. But attitude is so powerful. And, yeah, if if that kind of stuff happens, and it will, I mean, it's so uh, important to look at it like a lesson. Like, yeah. It wasn't a failure. It was like something that you benefited from because if you beat yourself up with uh, every failure, that's what learning feels like. It's a series of failures. That is learning. That's the process. And if you villainize failure, you're going to really slow down your learning. That's very true. Um, I've been like banging on this like toilet porcelain for (laughs) days, maybe weeks at this point. And, uh, I can't get that shit to take on any shape that I want it to. So I've just kind of, I've kind of gotten addicted to just banging on it. Mm. Like sort of just trying to like see what it does when I bang here, bang there. Um, 
but yeah, it's become kind of fun in itself. But failures, you know, I'd like to make a knife. I'm nowhere near making a knife yeah. with that stuff. But if I don't fail, I'm never going to have a knife. And already, like that conchoidal fracture we were talking about, that little disc that came off that's already a good cutting tool, I'm learning just by trying to aim for my goal and not getting stopped up. So mm-hmm. I don't know if I'll ever make a knife, but I've already learned stuff that yeah. I wouldn't have learned if I wasn't aiming for that goal. That's very true. So Boom. Boom. So I get that shit away for free. That's good, though, because it's so easy to fall into the trap of like, well, I don't want to make a mistake, so I just won't do anything. <laughs> yeah, and I've been there. I've, I've wasted so many hours of my life with that bullshit. Yeah. So, yeah, that's and that's another thing that, you know, getting back, if you want to talk about lessons from watching alone is I see these people and does it really does it mean that I have to, like, go somewhere out in the wilderness and not have anybody come pick me up until I've actually done shit? No, I should be able to get my stuff together and be able to like to do a project. Not have to, like, go up to Vancouver Island and, like, be alone to do it. Like, I should be able to get this stuff done. So, yeah. Lesson learned, hopefully. (laughs) Anything else you want to say about alone? Uh, Not at the moment. Not that I'm thinking of. I mean, I was just thinking about, like, the the different characters. Like, you know, I mentioned, like, uh, Desmond, who, uh, it's unfortunate, like... I mean, I know it doesn't matter if you're black or white, like how good of a survivalist you are, but the the first black guy I saw in there like had by far the shortest time. It was just like bad uh, marketing. <laughs> <laughs> bad uh, casting. Yeah, but I've been learning a lot by watching like the women on there and like, you know, like we just saw the end of season three, I believe. Oh, yeah. And this woman, like I was rooting for right at the beginning when there were still all 10 of them, I was like, she's going to win. And uh, I had Teresa convinced that I had looked it up already. Like, I was just like, she's going to win. And then, like, it's just her and one dude. And the only thing it came down to, she, like, she, I, I almost want to say should have, but, I mean, that's in little quotey fingers. But she had the right attitude. She was hanging in there. She had the survival skills. The only thing that, that, that tipped the scales was that she was a slim woman. And that the other guy she was up against came in a little chubby. It was a body mass thing. They sent her home. She didn't hit the button. She didn't give up. They're just like, well, you hit a body mass that we feel is dangerous. You're too much underweight. We got to, we got to take you out. And then the other guy won. (laughs) It was just a matter of size. And, uh, yeah, that was instructive to realize, like, I mean, I've always said survival is an odds game. I just actually was in a conversation with somebody on Facebook today about that. They were saying, like, who here thinks they could survive um, anywhere with nothing but the clothes on their back? And I said the question itself betrays, like, a, uh, a misunderstanding of what survival is. Survival is an odds game. There's no guarantees ever, ever. Nobody can say that they can survive anywhere with nothing but their clothes. That person doesn't understand survival if they say it. Mm. Um Because you can't say that. There's no guarantees. If you don't know that, you fucking don't know survival. Um, That's why sometimes you see like a New York lawyer um, win one of these shows, these survival shows, whereas the lifelong seasoned hunter went home early. 
Um, there's that final say of that bigger thing out there. And that's pretty cool to watch in Alone. It's like a lot of people when they're leaving, um, even being out there a long time, having a rough time, they're like, wow, there was something in my DNA that spoke to that. Like yeah. something felt really right out there. I was getting my head straight. Um, it's cool to watch people that don't want to leave. There was one dude. Oh, <laughs> my God. Dave from season three. Also in, where was that? Vancouver Island? No, season three. Dave. Oh, Patagonia. Patagonia. He, his strategy was he caught a bunch of fish. <gasps> And dried them out. And he had like 30 days worth of fish put up. But because he was on such a uh, slim amount of food, he started going into this weird like starvation mode where he's like losing way too much weight. But the more weight he loses, the more he gets hung up on hoarding his food. Yeah, they said in the the little like pop-up bubbles on the show – uh, well, it's not really a bubble. It's at the bottom of the screen. But anyway, they said that that's something that when you, when your body goes into starvation mode, um, things happen in your brain. And if you do have food, you start to hoard it instead of eat it. And it was heartbreaking because he had he was like having these kind of spiritual experiences. He was really into being out there. And right before they showed up, like the day before, he had decided wow, I think I need to start eating more of this food I've got put up. And he made like a fish soup. And, uh, you know, he was just starting to come back around. And then they show up, do a medical check, and he's too far underweight. They're like, we got to take you out. Again, another guy that did not push the button. And that was really heartbreaking. (laughs) And he was like, but I have food. I I will go eat right now. I will go eat more food. I have fish. Yeah, and I can totally get how somebody would get like that. Like, I think he had a little touch of that thing I got where he gets hung up on his, like, routines mm. and lists and, like, just too dug into it that he can't see what's actually happening. Yeah. But, yeah, really good, um, really good that we uh, shared all of that. Yeah. <laughs> Spoilers. <laughs> yeah, we should uh, we should charge a loan for this commercial. <laughs> And, uh, God, there's another jumping around here because we really, I didn't have anything really planned. But I did write down some ideas. So uh, what about this book you're reading now? Machiavelli, The Prince. So that is the Machiavelli of, oh, that's Machiavellian. Machiavellian. Machiavelli. And The Prince. And it's kind of this, uh, I guess it's the book maybe he's most famous for, but it's known as sort of an instruction manual for dictators. (laughs) So it's really interesting. He's like, the the whole book is sort of like this long letter broken into chapters written to a prince and him kind of giving his best advice on how to be a good prince. And like, he talks about uh, like how, what a good strategy colonization is. Oh my God talks about like if you take over uh people and they talk like you it's a lot easier to replace the old authority that people are kind of he's sort of the precursor to edward bernays yeah it's like 16th century edward bernays yeah just the way edward bernays is like if you're one of the few intelligent people that understands how the human mind works it's your responsibility to persuade other people and tell them what to think and here's how to do it and that's sort of the beginning of public relations propaganda and Machiavelli had sort of the same like people want to be ruled 
here's how to be the ruler and how to how to govern these people effectively, like make them follow you. Mm-hmm. And yeah, like one of the things is if you take over an area and there's a monarchy there, you kill everybody that is in that bloodline. Don't leave anybody because that's a threat to your authority. I mean, it's cold-blooded shit like that. Oh, is that it's why a, they were always after that Anastasia in Russia? Because yes. she was like the last one of that bloodline. Yeah, yeah. This, according to the introduction, this actually has been used from people from like Mussolini to Hitler to a lot of people have studied this book, and it has influenced the way countries are run. Oh my god! And it was written when. 1400s, I want to say. Oh, I, I thought it was in the 1500s, but could be right. Early 1500s, because I think that guy died in like 1532 or something. Yeah. Niccolo Machiavelli. Yeah, and I know he overlapped a little bit with Columbus, so that was 1492. Oh yeah, wow, wow, hundreds and hundreds of years of plotting dictatorship and authoritarianism. Yeah, and it's so cold. Look like where the, we got it introduction you know it says that he's being like more scientific than was before and yeah i mean it's all very logical and laid out but it's just like uh this is how it gets done period the question i would say it's very scientific now that i think about it because this is my big one of my big criticisms of science the question should it be done Mm -hmm. doesn't enter the equation it's an instruction manual here's how to do it and that's what i would say is kind of the governing uh the view of science as nobody asks, whoa, maybe we don't need to know that. Is that the right thing to do? It's just, here's how to do it. We mm-hmm. have figured out how to do it, period. And I remember in that introduction, because that was really the only part that we read together. Um, oh, shoot, I'm going to lose the... The train is leaving the station. You, you just said something that, oh, man, now I'm forgetting. Oh, shoot. There it went. Shoot, Gumby. <laughs> I can't even ask you to help me out because I don't remember. I could feel the depth of it, too. Yeah. Man. That was going to change lives. Yes. Damn. Oh, I, I think I remember. I'm remembering it. Okay. This introduction at the beginning of the book was written by some other like professor guy, and it was really boring. And he was saying that Machiavelli was presenting this after... Like, after... Machiavelli's family had been like um, thrown out of some power that they were in or they were like disgraced or something. And he was writing this succinct, you know, booklet letter to the prince. And I'm wondering, the nobody ever responded to Machiavelli. And Machiavelli's work was actually plagiarized and like handed out by several other people other than just him, in his lifetime, and he never said anything. So I was just wondering, like, what if you were the prince and you got, and you got this, uh, you know, how to conquer and, like, how to, you know, take over and be the best dictator that you can be, and you're reading it and you're like, who the hell sent this? Like, who is this guy and why is he telling me my business? And uh, I wonder in what... Um, not f- like for lack of a better word, flavor, but that's not what I'm getting at. Like, uh, 
in what mindset was Machiavelli when he wrote this? Was he trying to be helpful or was he more like, I got your number. Like, I know how this works. I've been talking to the guys down at the bar, which is actually what he did. Like, that's what the professor guy was writing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I talked to my family. Like, I know. I know what you guys do. And I'm going to tell everybody else what you do, too. Like, I just wonder what mindset he was in when he wrote it. I don't yeah. know if it was maybe revealed in some of the stuff that you're reading, because that's actually his words. But No, it's pretty... I don't know. That's left mysterious as... You can interpret what is the intent behind it because it's laid out just cold-blooded as hell. Like nobody asked him to write this. He wrote it and he gave it to this family. Was it the Borgias family? I don't know. Oh. Well, he gave it to the the family that was like taking over the power in his his city-state or whatever in Italy. But yeah, it was just interesting because I'm (laughs) – I mean people are people, you know. It's kind of like an open letter, but in the early 1500s, like, oh, let me get this straight. So you came in and killed my family, and, uh, <laughs> you know, you're colonizing us. Is this is this right? Am I right? <laughs> Did he, like, codify everything that, like, sick, twisted dictators 1500s do? open letters. So uh, if anybody keys my car, like, <laughs> I just want to know, I wanna, want you to know. Uh, keys my mule. <laughs> Somebody in the parking lot keyed my mule. Uh-huh. And if you scratch my ass, that's going to be your ass. Oh, oh, I see what you did there. That was good. Yeah, that was, that was 1500s, like, not putting up with shit. Oh. And hey. they didn't put up with shit in the 1500s. Speaking, okay, God, speaking of an open letter, um, we were walking the dogs. Gumby was walking Sherlock, and I'm walking these two little ankle nippers, uh, Gemma and Clementine. And we're in this, like, super gentrified neighborhood. Because I remember, and I think I might have said this in the Boiling Frog episode, but I remember years upon years ago, before I met Gumby, before I lived in a van, I was looking for a place to live. And I came to this street in the dirty old city of Durham, and this whole street was, like, full of crackheads. One of them leaned their forehead up against the window of my car at the time and just, like, stood there looking in my car at me. <laughs> and uh, the house I was looking at had like bullet holes in the front of the house where I was going to potentially be renting a room. And now like all these houses have been redone and uh, are worth like hundreds of thousands of dollars. So we're walking the dogs and there's still like some bus stops down here that are uh, populated by questionable characters. And This woman, like, I saw the bus. It looked like the bus was going to stop for her, but she turned her back to throw something away and, like, walked away from the bus stop, and the bus didn't stop. And then she was asking us if, like, she could use our phones, which we don't have phones, and we had to, like, explain it to her in three different ways that we did not have phones. (laughs) And I I didn't say much because she was giving off this aura of just trouble. And I've learned, like, I'm not even engaging with people like that. I'm not rude to them. I say, hey, but that's about it. Yeah. I'm not stopping to have a conversation with you. She looked like she was generally probably on a substance. Yeah. I just knew from experience I don't want to get involved in whatever the hell's going on with you. She kind of looked, I'm not trying to be mean, she kind of looked like the woman that put her forehead up against the passenger window of my car so many years ago and, like, stood there looking in. But anyway, I I just, like, 
as she was walking away, you know, we, we're sorry. We don't have phones. We can't really help you out. Um, you know, Merry Christmas. Sorry that happened, but I don't know what to tell you. Ah, and then, because this is a black woman, right? I should have turned around and said, hey, why don't you go up to one of these houses on the street that have the Black Lives Matter signs? <laughs> they should be able to help you out, right? I wonder what would have happened. Now, you know that's not what they mean with those Black Lives Matter signs. They mean people they've never met, like halfway across the country, well, that's... being told to the, the, the stories being told to them through a media they've learned to trust implicitly. Yeah. Not the people right there on the street, Teresa. Come on. In the neighborhood. You that, know what that In means. the neighborhood that they probably were displaced from when the gentrified folk yeah, not moved them. here from California. But yeah. So... I don't know. I guess I wasn't given off enough of a homeless vibe. Wow. <laughs> and it's I'm, a Christmas miracle. Yeah, I'm, I'm supremely looking homeless. So uh, I got my first bath in so many days. Good Lord. Yeah. And when that woman, like we were passing her and I hadn't said anything to her. Cause like I said, I was kind of like, yeah, she's trouble. <laughs> and um, finally, like after the, I don't know, fourth or fifth time she mentions like borrowing our phone. I was like, yeah, we don't have phones. We haven't had phones for three years. <laughs> and uh, I just said it like kind of like that. And she was like, okay, okay. You know, like I, <laughs> I think it's just mainly the way I looked. Like the only coat I have is this camouflage wool coat. I got this big beard. I mean, I look like fucking Duck Dynasty. That's kind of my winter look. You know, like I need the heat. <laughs> And I think you don't have her, a you like don't have a MAGA that, hat. You I don't think, have a MAGA I hat. I don't have that. But I think coming from me, even though I didn't mean that like a uh, hostile, it was just like we don't have a phone. But she was just like, okay, like I felt okay, <laughs> okay, like calm down. As a white woman, I'm used to being pestered on the street like by all sorts of people because I'm you know I'm supposed to be giving and nice. I feel like I stick out like a white thumb in this gentrified neighborhood. It's not that there's not plenty of other white people around. It's that I don't look anything like those <laughs> other white people. So when you give me that shit about white privilege because I can look around and see other white faces, yeah. you ain't me. Yeah. <laughs> Oof. Well, I, I talked about pretty much everything on my list. Well, I'm ready to watch some, uh, what were we going to watch? Christmas Carol. A 1940s Christmas. Alistair Sims. Oh, yeah. Like, and then if we're still awake, another episode of Alone, probably. Ooh, exciting. But that's going to be our Christmas uh, Eve, so. Yeah, this is a Christmas present to anybody listening, because it's less than an hour. Yeah, and Christmas doesn't, I, I feel like, I got to say that I, I feel like Christmas doesn't mean that much, like, for us living in a van, because it's like... I mean, when are you going to have time to, like, buy something, for one, that the other person doesn't know about? Where are you going to hide it, for two? And Prison wallet. When two people are trying to be minimalist and have as little as possible, what the hell are you going to buy them anyway? So it's kind of a awkward holiday, I feel like, for us. So we just try to find something pleasant to do, you know, so a little traditional. So it's kind of by default we're, like, sitting in front of a Christmas tree right now, which is kind of funny. But, uh... <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Usually we would um, maybe go and try to see Christmas lights, get some eggnog and some whiskey or something, rum, put it in there and um, get high and watch. Some eggnog, nog, knob. Egg, eggnog and rum would be pretty damn good right now, I gotta yeah. say. Yeah. But she might have rum in here somewhere. I don't know where she keeps her liquor. Mm. But she's newly single. So oh. she's bound to have liquor in here somewhere. 
But anyway. There's a dirty joke in there somewhere. Yeah. Um, speaking of getting money and not being grateful, um, the listener, right? <laughs> oh, you, hey, read this. Oh. Oh, no, we, uh, we appreciate any and all donations that we've gotten. So Gumby is going to find a way to spend any donation that we get, um, on a present for me. Oh, is that what's happening? Mm-hmm. I think the present for you is going to be, uh, gas in the van. <laughs> uh, it's here's your present. You're not going to be stranded on the side of the road. Merry Christmas for another couple weeks. <laughs> Yay! All right. So this is from Shannon, who uh, maybe lives in Wake Forest, North Carolina. If she hasn't moved, and she writes, <clears throat> "Oh, hey guys, just wanted to let you know I really enjoy listening to your show. I put it on while I'm at work, and you two make my day." Love your readings and recommendations of books, all the awesome info, and your life experiences. Keep it up. The shows are awesome. And Gumby, make sure you get my hick voice correct if you read this out. I don't want to come off sounding like I'm from New Hampshire or something. LOL. All right, I gave it my best fucking hick voice. Golly. You're welcome. Oh, so Shannon, thank you for writing in and thank you for your contribution to our gas tank. Mm-hmm. Thank you. And uh, and thanks everybody for listening. And um, if you want to write in and or donate, you can go to our website, escapingsociety.weebly.com. And we have links there to our YouTube channel and our Facebook page and all sorts of other crazy things that we haven't updated in a long time because I haven't updated them. And I uh, think that's it. Yeah, and the world's still a good place, so there's something out there that would make your uh, evening brighter. So uh, make your damn self a grilled cheese sandwich. There you go. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Cause we'll be gone over that next horizon. Cause we ain't got no. End.